weeks ago, I had the privilege of coaching my daughter's basketball game. It brought back memories of when I coached high school girls' basketball and all of the preparation that went into a basketball game, sitting down and whether look at, you know, getting scouting reports from other um, teams, practice, scheduling your practices around that, and so you're prepared for this team that you're about to face. And I remember those, the joy of just being able to get in there and dig in and coach, and then I reminded myself that it was a fifth and sixth grade girls' basketball team. And I was quickly brought back to think, I have six girls that are out there. We're missing two of our key players, and we're playing against a team that has ten players, and their second team is just as good as their first team. And so it was, it was a little bit of a struggle, but um, it still was an enjoyment for me to be able to get out there and coach. Didn't win, but we brought it back within four after being down about 10 to 12 points. So it was a great joy for me to just be able to get out there and coach some basketball again. And just as a coach, no matter what level they're coaching, no matter what team he or she is coaching, uh, he has a responsibility to bring some type of game plan to the table, to bring something to the table to help this team win and to coach his team through, his or her team through uh, circumstances that, 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 that they may face on the basketball court. And we too, as Christ followers, we have a responsibility as disciple makers to have an intentional process to making disciples or for making disciples. Now, last October, Pastor Dave talked a little bit about the next steps for Waukee Community Church, the next five initiatives for Waukee Community Church. Remember, back in November, December, we stopped to pray as a body because we cannot do this alone. We need God. We need to have a steadfast dependence on God. Step two is we're going to walk the map. You've heard a lot about walking the map, walking the map. Step three, we're going to serve. So we're going to develop some type of strategic partnerships within our community. Number four was to multiply, having intentional communities um, that go out and bring people back that lead to step five, which is bringing people, uh, bringing people back together to have a shared facility that we can then launch people out into the community. A shared facility that other ministries and other organizations can partner with us because they want to transform the city of Milwaukee and the west side of one. And so then you see a little arrow, there's still, there's still things that are going on beyond that. There's step six, step seven, so there's other things that we haven't quite identified yet, but these are our next five steps, actually our next four steps um, in the process um, of Waukee Community Church. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave started a sermon series on Ephesians, um, and he, he went on, he wanted to answer the question, who are you, or more specifically, what is your identity in Christ? And he said that this sermon series, it's important to understand our identity in Christ because when we walk the map, we need to understand our identity in Christ. And so here we hear, we're hearing about this map again. Well, I'm here to take a little bit of a time out from the sermon series, just kind of a little bit of a side route. For the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at that map. We're going to look at the map of transformation and have a little bit of, just to kind of dig into it a little bit more, unfold the map in a sense to say, this is what a map of transformation could look like for Waukee Community Church. Now, it's, it's important to understand about this map. This map here that you see, it's a framework. It's a framework to help guide us in the direction of maturity. It's not a curriculum. It's not a curriculum that's going to tell us exactly what to study. It's not stagnant. You know, we're going to do the same thing every single time. We're going to study the same thing every single time. It's not stagnant. It's dynamic. 
As somebody walks through the map, they might walk through the map a little bit different than another person might walk through the map. So it's not stagnant, it's dynamic. The goal is not to go through a process and say, oh, I've walked the map and so I'm done. No, that's not the idea. It's not a process. It's, that's not the goal. The goal is to develop maturing disciple makers as they go along life's journey together. So the goal again is to develop maturing disciple makers as they go along life's journey together. So that's it. just keep that kind of tucked in the back of your mind about this map as we continue this dialogue. You know, because throughout Tennessee's history, um, we've identified ourselves as a disciple-making church. We are about making disciples. And in this running dialogue that we've had, there have been similar questions or statements framed in one way or another. Um, they could be framed in the, in the sense of, how? How do I make disciples? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So that may have been a question or a statement that has come up. What do you want me to do? And that's kind of the same line, but a little bit of a different thing. You know, how do I do it? Or what do you want me to do? Or how do I know when I'm a disciple? How do I know when I've arrived? I've never been discipled before. No one, no one has been there to show me how to do this. Or I don't have time to put something together um, to, to make a disciple. And so these are all, these are all things that we've heard um, just kind of in conversation as we as we talked about being a disciple-making church. But this is the thing. Our mission, as we talked over the last couple of months, our mission, we clarified it to be bringing people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. So you can see why there's potential for a problem, because number one, we're a disciple-making church. But number two, in that same dialogue, or in that same uh, conversation, we're asking the question, how? Or we're asking the question, how do I do this? This is not a bad thing. Let me, let me share an illustration. We've inherited Pastor Dave's dog, Riker. Uh, if you don't know Riker, Riker is a Bernice Mountain dog that is about 90 to 95 pounds. Um, and he barks really, really loudly. Um, he's in the St. Bernard family, probably a little bit smaller than a St. Bernard. And he loves snow. He was the only um, mammal in the house this morning that was glad that it snowed last night. <laughs> only mammal. Um, and so he's very happy right now. But he's also very happy because it's warming up. And when it warms up, these little critters called uh, squirrels and bunnies like to come out of their burrows from the winter. And so being a dog that is 90 to 95 pounds with a big loud bark, Riker likes to run from the back of the house to the front of the house, to the back of the house, barking at squirrels as they run along the fence line, squeaking and squealing at them, and I think swearing at them, because he goes outside and he chases them. At night at 11 o'clock when he goes out to do his business, after he does his business, he will find a squirrel or a rabbit, and he will chase the rabbit out to the front of our house, across the street, and every once in a while, he'll even go around the block to chase the rabbit. And it's at 2 o'clock in the morning when either my, me or my wife are out there just right here, get back here, trying to get him to come back without waking the neighborhood up. Now, if Riker went outside and he went up to a rabbit and started licking the rabbit, I might be a little bit concerned because he's not being Riker-like. Um, or if he wasn't chasing squirrels, he might not be Riker-like because I know that's how Riker is. And there'd, be, uh, there'd, be, there'd be a problem there because he's... 
he's a dog, he's supposed to change, or he's supposed to chase animals, but yet he's not. We are believers, we are supposed to make disciples, we are supposed to be disciples, we're supposed to walk along that discipleship process, that disciple-making process. So this is a good question that we say, yes, we're a disciple-making church, and yes, I want to be a disciple, I want to be discipled, I want to help people disciple. That is a good thing. So we are a good place in the church. No, we we can't forget. We weren't the we weren't we aren't the only people that have struggled with this. If we if we remember the New Testament, the New Testament that we have here, it was written to people who desired desired to grow. Um, these were letters that were put together to help people grow, that people desired to grow, or sometimes they may even drug along and say you're going to grow anyways. But this this scripture that we have before us, it was written to people. That desire to grow. And this is just one of the ways that the early church fathers, you know, Paul, Peter, John, all of those guys put these letters together to help disciple people and help them to grow like Christ, to walk in Christ's ways. You know, there was here at uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, remember, was uh, converted on the on the Damascus Road, bright light. And so this was after that scenario, or after the scene in, in uh, early church history. And Paul has landed in the city of Antioch, and he's partnered with a guy by the name of Barnabas, and they go out on a missionary journey. They start in Antioch, and they visit the island of Cyprus. They go to Asia Minor, which is kind of the Turkey area of modern day today. And then they, they ended up back in Antioch. And as they landed back in Antioch, they were sharing with the church how God was working and what God was doing amongst the Gentiles that they had gone out and, and minister to and preach the gospel to them. And I love the very last couple of verses in chapter 14 says that Paul and Barnabas spent no little time in Antioch. They spent a lengthy time in Antioch. And they were sharing what God was doing. And so as they were sharing what God was doing, the word gets out of what God is doing amongst these Gentiles. And the false teachers from Judea come up and they say, basically, salvation is not through Christ alone, but salvation is through circumcision. And so, the early church is faced with this first idea of asking an honest question. These false teachers present one thing, that you, that circumcision is how we can have a more spiritual life. But they're asked a question, or they might, may not have been asked a question, but the question was put into their mind somehow that, is salvation truly through faith in Christ? These guys are saying it's not, so is salvation truly through faith in Christ? And so that's the first question. That's, that's one of the questions that they see right before them. Now our questions today, they might come from a, a various, various sources. It might come from those that might oppose us. I don't know, I've had people that I don't see eye to eye with, but yet they say something that kind of puts in my mind and, and it raises a question in my mind of who I am or what I'm doing. And so that's one source that people might, that we might hear a question, hear an honest question. Um, it might come from a friend that asks an honest question of us. Uh, these, these honest questions can come from the Holy Spirit. As we're reading through Scripture, and as we go throughout our day, we, we hear this question that comes up our mind, a good reminder about Scripture, a reminder about something, uh, uh, something that we may have heard in a sermon. And so 
so we have these lots of questions. They might come through circumstances where we're going through life. These questions might come up. Okay. So there's a question that comes up. Or it could be something that we want to learn about God. There's something that, that we haven't quite understood about God because we have an honest question about maybe who God is and his character or how he plays out in the world today. In general, um, if we look at these a little bit differently, in general, the, the questions in general might be, is there an area in my life where I find myself running from God? Is there an area in my life that I find myself running from God? Or is there an area where I, where I uh, fail to obey without delay? Do I obey right when God says that I should obey? Right when God says whatever God's word says? Is there an area where I would like to mature? Those might be some general questions that we can ask. But our questions need to be specific. Do I resolve conflict properly? Do I resolve conflict? That might be a, a, a question that's a little bit more specific. Or do I live ashamed of my identity in Christ as a Christ follower? As I go throughout my day, do people know that I'm a Christ follower in my workplace, in my office, in my school classroom? Do people know that I'm a Christ follower? And we need to be honest with ourselves about these questions. Um, some of the questions won't be comfortable that we come across. Some of them won't be easy. Um, and some of them won't be popular. But we need to ask an honest question. So after Paul and Barnabas and this group of believers are asked this question, much debate took place, and they agreed, well, let's go to Jerusalem and see if we can settle this matter with the church there, since you guys are coming from that area. So both sides went and talked to the elders of Jerusalem. Further debate took place, and Peter stood stands up, and he says, uh, verse 8 and 9, chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So what Peter does here? Peter takes these Gentile believers and connects them to their identity in Christ. He says, just as I, the Jew, have received Christ, these Gentiles have too. Just as I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, these Gentiles have them too. And so Peter takes and connects them with their identity in Christ. Our, our identity, our connection, our connection is with the truth of our identity in Christ as a creation. It's found in God's word. And it contrasts with uh, the world's solutions. Where the world's solution sometimes says, just try harder. Change your circumstances and try harder. Change your circumstances and try harder. Try harder. Try harder. Change your circumstances. For uh, a gentleman by the name of Anthony Kiedis, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, he's the lead singer of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, he's been with the group around since 1983, and he's been with them ever since 1983. So 80 million records, uh, 11 studio albums released. He was a student at UCLA, um, but yet he didn't 
that the college scene didn't really jive with him, and so he's he said, well, looking for something else. He's well, been in several movies. He's written the book, he's like, and he has what? this to say. The fact that my circumstances have changed drastically, but my behavior hasn't, was beginning to wear on me. So he's identifying that just because I changed my circumstances, that doesn't change my identity. And it starts to rub on him. It starts to, um, starts to wear on him. And we don't find our identity in changing of circumstances, but we find our identity in Christ. And that's what David's talking about in the book of Ephesians. As we go through this book of Ephesians, and we look at this, that's what David's talking about, is finding our identity in Christ. So Peter continues to address the crowd in verse 10 and 11. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord just as they will. The next thing that Peter does, first we ask an honest question, is salvation through faith in Christ alone? We connect with our identity in Christ. Peter does that with the Gentiles. And the next thing that Peter does is that he says to invest in God's solution. And this is more where we see that the, the original question was answered. What Peter says, he remembers what Jesus told him. What did Jesus say about my yoke? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's taking what Jesus taught him and he's applying that to the believers of the early church, the Gentile believers. He said, don't apply this heavy yoke that even Jesus said wasn't possible and that we aren't willing to wear ourselves or that that's heavy for someone else. Don't take that yoke and put it upon somebody else. And so he's saying, invest in God's solution. God's solution says that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Don't place that heavy yoke on them. Salvation is through faith in Christ. You're not going to get any closer just by being circumcised or living a different way um, that's based upon the law. So our investment, our investment works towards answering that original question through the lens of our identity in Christ. At home, we have on our, uh, if you've been to our house, we have a, a silver set that sits out, and it's been a while since it's been cleaned. Um, you can look at it, and you can see very tarnished. Um, it's not clear. You, if you try to look at it and see your reflection in there, you wouldn't be able to see your reflection. And this is sometimes us. That we as a believer, our identity has been changed. Our identity is that of silver. But at times it's tarnished because we don't understand our identity in Christ. The silver is back there. The shine is back there. But because we haven't fully understood our identity in Christ, kind of tarnished and we can't quite see the silver shining through. We can't see the Holy Spirit shining through our lives. We can't see Jesus shining through our lives. But if we take it and we shine it up, we see the silver that's able to shine through. We see Jesus being able to shine through our lives, the Holy Spirit living through our lives. And so when we identify our, who we are in Christ and apply that to the circumstances we have and we uh, engage in God's solution, we begin to see the silver shining through our lives. We see, we see Jesus shining through our lives just Sir, as the silver shines on a, on a teapot. I did clean all of the other sets yesterday, so we have a nice clean set. So if you come over to our house, you'll see a nice shiny silver set. And I'll make sure that you're listening to you and you're shining that out. 
Um, that, that's, that's an example of Jesus shining through our lives. Our investment works on renewing our minds through God's Word. If you look at verse 12, it talks about the question that came over the crowd. While Paul and Barnabas, once Peter stood up and said what he would uh, help clarify what needed to happen, Paul and Barnabas then continued to share. He continued to share with them uh, what God was doing amongst the Gentiles, and there was a hush that fell over the crowd. And he, he was, uh, their minds were being renewed by what Peter, Paul, and Barnabas were sharing with them. And then we have another character that's introduced to the story, then James, the church leader in Jerusalem, stands up and addresses the crowd and confirming Peter's response. And James says, we're going to draft a letter, we're going to send a letter back to the Gentile believers from the Jerusalem church. And so, the next thing that we see happening with the early church is we see them engaging others in the process. James writes a letter to them, encouraging them, saying that yes, you are believers, yes, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, you have been changed, you've identified with Christ, and you're part of the worldwide church, you're part of the church. And so he writes a letter. In verse 22, he sends people with Paul and Barnabas. He says, Paul and Barnabas, I want you to go back, but I'm not going to leave Paul and Barnabas. I'm going to send a group of Jerusalem believers that are part of the Jerusalem church to send them back. And then in verse 30 and 31, he says, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And he kind of sends a relief the room as they're reading this letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. The Gentile believers said, yes, we are. What we thought we are, yes, we are. The Jerusalem church engaged others in the process. And you can see that from this, the Gentile church here in Antioch then went out and engaged others in the process and helped them uh, help them walk through a map of this nature here map of disciple-making. So our engagement, what must our engagement be? Our engagement must be threefold. One, those who we don't know, those who don't know Christ. That's one of the engagements that we must have, is those who don't know Christ. Another engagement that we might have with others would be those who desire to be discipled. There might be somebody in your life that desires this disciple. Uh, being discipled, or those who can disciple us. And these might not necessarily happen all at the same time, but these are the types of engagements that we should look for um, in our lives. Our engagement must be intentional. We must look for somebody to disciple. We must look for someone to disciple us. When I was younger, I had this little toy. Um, either me or my neighbor had this little toy. There's this little plastic disc that you put on the floor, and it has this little steering wheel that pops up in the middle. And you sit on this disc, and there's little ball bearings in there that allow you to go in a circle. And so you grab a hold of this wheel, and you start yanking on it, yanking on it, yanking on it, and you start spinning and spinning, and we see how fast we can get. And then you stand up, and you're all busy, and you're Falling all over the place. It's called a sit and spin. Has anybody ever ridden on a sit and spin before? All right? 
So a sentence spin. But the thing about a sentence spin is you don't go anywhere. You just sit there and you spin. I don't know why it was hours and hours of enjoyment. Maybe it's just seeing the person get up and fall all over themselves after they were spinning. But this, this engagement, this map that we're talking about here, our engagement, it's not about individual spirituality. It's not about going through a bunch of classes. It's not about um, just us learning all the time, but it's about engaging others. We don't want to be on that spiritual sit and spin where we just spin in one place, sit there and spin in one place and don't go anywhere. We need to make sure that we're going somewhere. Howard Hendricks um, <coughs> is a teacher, he's a professor at a uh, seminary in uh, Dallas, Texas. Says this, when a person makes a confession of faith and has never taken it through a formal discipleship process, there is little hope of seeing genuine spiritual transformation. His, his students affectionately called him the prophet. He just died um, last year, 2013. He just died last year. But the effect that he's had on men and women, whether they be um, wherever they might be, is, has gone throughout the world because of his concern for other people, his um, engagement in their lives in a disciple-making process. There are about 60 times in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it talks about one another's. In the New Testament. We have a responsibility to one another. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, We are to be transformed. In Colossians 1, 28, Paul says, We are to present each other mature in Christ. We as a church, this is important. Yes, we are a disciple-making church. We need to walk through this disciple-making process. Our vision is to transform the city of Waukee and the west side of Des Moines by bringing people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I was um, having breakfast with a young man. And um, we were talking about this idea of the disciple-making process. And in part of our conversation, um, I was talking with him and just saying, hey, I'd like to continue to walk through this process and dialogue with you about this a little bit more. And, you know, if I have some guys that would like to come to the table, I'd like to be able to invite them to the table. He said, I said, if you have some guys that are in your workplace or that you know that you can bring to the table, then bring them to the table. And it can start out with us too, but if we have another guy, it can be a third guy. We'll bring another guy in, it can be a fourth guy. And when we need the four or five guys, we're going to take that group and split it into two. We'd like to see that split into two. And then bring more guys in and see that split into another group of you know, three, three or four groups. And his response was, man, it would be really cool that if on a Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, whenever we meet, that this whole section of Panera was just filled with guys that were studying the Word. It's like, yeah, that would be really, really cool if we could, if we could see God working through us in, this, in a disciple-making process. And he understood at that moment that every believer has a responsibility as a disciple-maker and should have an intentional process for disciple-making. And as we begin to walk the map, 
it'll become natural for us. We might find ourselves having a conversation and thinking through this ask, connect, invest, engage. And we might not say, well, what's your honest question? Well, no, we just might be prompting and finding out. They might not even ask the question, but we can formulate a question that they're trying to wrestle with. And we might help them connect with their identity in Christ and then engage God's solution and, I'm sorry, not engage, but invest in God's solution and engage others. Over the next six to nine months, as we continue to roll out this map, and we roll out, I'll just call them map communities, I don't know what they'll be, but let's just call them something. People getting together to study God's Word. How about that? But as we continue to roll this out, these, these communities, they might be in your workplace. You might see a couple of guys or a couple of people in your workplace, and they might not know Christ, and you, you might sit down with them and help them ask an honest question. Their honest question, it might be, just as the early um, Gentiles were asking, does faith come through Christ alone? And that might be the original question, their honest question that they're asking. And you can sit down with them and say, you know what, before you even go any further, you need to connect with this true identity in Christ. And then as they wrestle with that true identity in Christ and come to realization that they need Christ, then they have these other questions that you can help them uh, that you can help them invest in God's solution through his word. And then you can help them say, well, now that you know a little bit to be dangerous, go out and engage others in this process and see them bring it back around to help others see their asking honest question and to connect with their identity in Christ. Or it might be in your family. You might have a brother, sister, dad, mom, father. That's the same thing as dad. So a father, a brother. <laughs> Might have a, you might have a stepdad. You might have um, somebody in your family. And you might start thinking through this process. And maybe they're not living out their identity in Christ. Or maybe you're not living out your identity in Christ. Or maybe both of you aren't living out your identity in Christ. And as a result, there's conflict. There's been a, a ripping apart of a type of a relationship because one or the other or both are not living that identity in Christ. And as you start to recognize your identity in Christ and start helping engaging them in, in, that, in that helping them see their identity in Christ, you start resolving that conflict and you start investing in God's solution. And then other people in your family might see, wow, that relationship's different. What's different? That gives, a, that gives an easy opportunity to help them. They've already asked the honest question. What's different? You can then help them see their identity in Christ, engaging or uh, investing in God's solution and engage others. It might be in your life group, or it might be in a portion of your life group, where you can start looking at walking a map together as a life group of asking an honest question, investing in God's solution. I'm getting mixed up. Asking an honest question, connecting with your identity in Christ. Uh, investing in God's solution and engaging others. Next week, we're going to take a look at one of these characters from the book of Acts. As we talked a little bit on the, on the church side of what a map could look like. So next week, we're going to, we're going to dig in a little bit further with one of, these, one of these characters, and we're going to take a look at this map here. Because we talked about the outside this morning. And next week, we want to kind of go into that middle because that middle portion, that's what drives the map. Being connected to God's spirit, 
God's people and God's word. So next week we're going to take a look at that and see how that um, goes from a church setting in the early church <coughs> to one of those characters. We're going to see how that plays out a little bit later in his life. So I look forward to being able to just continue this next week um, as we get into God's word. Dear Father, we come to you this morning. And God, I am thankful that I am a part of a church that has a heart for disciple making. I am, I am glad that you have put in the hearts of people here that say, I want to know God's word and I want to know how to do it. And I pray, God, as we continue to wrestle with this idea of disciple making, that we would not give up. That we would continue to chase this idea of disciple making and grab a hold of it. And that God, whether we be a guy, whether we be a lady, that we would see Maybe on a Tuesday morning, a whole section of Panera, or if you'd like Starbucks better, that a whole section of Starbucks be filled up with guys, with ladies that are studying God's Word. Because that's what we want to be known as. A, a church that transforms the city of Waukee into the side of point. And that is done in your Word. God, I'm thankful that I'm part of a church that has this heart. Amen. <laughs>